Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Today's guest is Shane Moss. Shane and I go back almost all the way to his origin story as a comedian. But before we get into that, there are plenty of memories to be shared about the HBO Aspen Comedy Festival, how he recovered from breaking both of his heels, which kept him homebound with his parents for the not-so-better part of a year, and his own personal breakup, coming back with a new podcast about science called Here We Are. So let's get to it! So Shane Moss, it's been too long. It has been too long. <laughs> we uh, remember when we were friends. I do. In fact, uh. I I just watched you headline at, here at Gotham Comedy Club, and you were talking about the times that you thought you could have died. Yeah. And it brought back many vivid memories. Uh, <laughs> remember when we were in Aspen? And of course, well. You remember half of the nights, and I remember the other half of the nights. We were young. I, we, we, we were young then. We yeah, were young. we were. We. I like that we traded off blacking out every other night. One of us would black out, and the other one would care for the other person. Yes. And get uh, get us back to the <laughs> the lovely cabin or whatever that was. And um, now and now it's documented for for all time. Yeah. So, uh, back then. Did you picture? Oh, seven. <laughs> back oh, in 2007 man. when you were breaking big. Uh, yeah, yeah. Did you, what did you picture the next eight years of your life would be like? I mean, I had no idea. I was just like, it was such a crazy trajectory back then. That I was just like, well, I guess this just keeps on happening until <laughs> I, I'm in outer, outer space. And then like things just plateaued. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to have to keep working hard. Stupid working hard. Ugh. Uh, well, you know, you, some people get kids to get material. Some people get married to get material. Some people break both their heels to get material. <laughs> uh, I, like, it's kind of bittersweet having the, my, in, in my opinion, my best stand-up work to date about breaking my, my feet because it, especially because a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, my act is about you know people trying to cheer you up and saying no this is a good thing all this good stuff and i was like fuck you and then i released a really great album about uh, about it which i was like uh, really happy with uh so how long have you had the cane so i was zero weight bearing since I broke my feet hiking uh, a year ago, May, and I was zero weight bearing for um, almost a year. It was, uh, I started physical therapy in the beginning of April mm -hmm. and things progressed really quickly in the beginning and I was able to use a cane um, in April, I think actually when I recorded my album, um, in, in April in Madison, the last show of the week, I, um, I walked off stage without crutches for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so it was just like, here's an end to a whole ordeal. But what I, 
what I didn't realize at the time mm-hmm. was that I, I thought like, all right, finally, I'm on a cane light, light at the end of the tunnel and I'll be sprinting around. I didn't actually think I was going to be sprinting around in no time. Right. But what I didn't consider was that um, it's possible that just every other step that I take in life might just hurt <laughs> for the rest of my life. So not quite worth the elbow. But I, I don't think that'll be the case. I think it's still coming along and still making little bits of progress. What do you think is the first thing? What's the first thing you're looking forward to being, to doing fully mobile? Rock climbing. Believe it or not. <laughs> Rock climbing. Believe it or not. Yeah, I, everyone thinks I'm completely crazy. I was... I wish I'd been rock climbing the day mm-hmm. that I hurt myself. I was hiking and I was I was supposed to be rock climbing, was disappointed that I didn't get to go and was trying to get my adrenaline fix and ended up being a dumbass and jumping off something that was too high. But rock climbing, you're tied into stuff. But I was, I was um, well, uh, again, it had been a long time since we'd seen each other because I, I was quite a changed man. I was like really taking care of myself. I was exercising like three hours a day and stuff like crazy. I mm-hmm. was, well, like, or rock climbing or swimming. And or you weren't drinking. Or, and I wasn't drinking or smoking cigarettes or none of that stuff. And then, uh, and and then and that's probably why I broke my feet because I just felt like Superman, like I'd never felt better in my life. And then I went to never feeling worse. Uh, but you know, well, having having a cane around for so often and for so long now. Yeah. What what's what kind of tricks have you learned with well, the cane? Have you do you have any? Y- any you want to see one? Uh, yeah, for our listeners at home, please. Just, <laughs> just describe to the listeners what I'm uh, doing. <laughs> standing up. Okay, he's standing up. Uh, he's he. Cane. Oh, he's Break bending, the, breaking the breaking the cane into pieces. Oh, you twirl around like an old Monopoly man <laughs> from the Monopoly board game. And then it goes back together. As I twirl it, that's that's what's my that's my big pain, cane trick. What's the la- what's the last thing you used your your cane for that was not walking? Walking. Um, I often use it for like like I'll I'll hit an elevator button or mm. something like that. That's like as I'm approaching something or, or like the handicap uh, the the handicap thing on mm-hmm. on uh, to open doors. I'll go boink and I'll hit. Uh, so I'll, I'll use it for like reaching things from time to time. Right. Um, yeah, it's uh, just using it for laziness. <laughs> uh, are people impressed by that? Um, yeah, pretty much everyone's real. No, <laughs> no, no one's impressed. I, uh, everyone, everyone's always like, and I might at this point, but everyone's like, oh, you got to get yourself a pimp cane. Mm-hmm. You got to get a sweet pimp cane. Which one? This one travels. It'll fit in my backpack. I don't use the cane all the time. It's just like... How many canes do you do you own? I pretty much just use these travel canes. I have one custom cane, but it mm-hmm. got a crack in it um, because I, I I dropped like some luggage on it. Okay. And it cracked a little bit, and I don't feel like spending a hundred dollars on another cane. Here's why: <laughs> is because I'm hoping to never use a fucking cane again. Right. In you my don't. Life. You don't want to make a long-term investment. Yeah, I don't want to invest in my. I'm I'm the same way about buying larger size clothes. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah, want to commit to being a right, fatter right, version of right, me. Right, right, right. See, that's smart, though. I'm like, I no, think. I'm going to get 
yeah, in yeah. shape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if I go up a size that's you saying did. no, that means yeah. I have to fill out this shirt and these pants. Yeah. To me, that makes sense to do, though. Thank you. When's the last time you thought about going to college? Well, I go to colleges all the time for my, <laughs> for my podcast. Touché. Um, I, uh, I, but actually going to yeah, college as a, as to a, get a, a degree? Yeah. Um, never. I don't, I don't, uh, I really, really like science. I have a science podcast called Here We Are, where I interview scientists each week. It does plug, not, plug, plug, it, plug. it does not surprise me in the least because the last time we hung out on an extended basis was when you were living in Austin. Yeah. And I stayed with you and your then girlfriend during South by Southwest. And you could not stop talking about this one scientist plan to put solar panels in all of the highways. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Solar roadways. <laughs> solar that, roadways. That dude's doing pretty well for himself. Is he? I, so when we, when we talked, he, I bet he had like... That was probably 2,000... That was four and a half years ago. Yeah, I, I bet he had probably 2,000 followers on Facebook at mm -hmm. that time. Um, I was one of them, and uh, and I was raving all about his invention. And yeah, you were raving about I, it. I know. To I, me well, and to I, everybody we talked to, you wanted to bring it up. Uh, well, when I I used to drink a lot back then. <laughs> yes. And, uh, I, I but there are worse things you can talk about yeah, as a yeah. drunk than, well, I was always than a things that improve the, no the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, than innovations that could revolutionize <laughs> energy <laughs> usage. Yeah. Well, now he has like a shitload of followers on Facebook and he has like grants from GM and like, which they're probably just trying to buy his patents so they right. can bury him. But, um, but yeah, I think he's, uh, I think his prototype that he built mm -hmm. is, is working and being tested quite well. And I think he's still, I, I think I was right. I think he's going to, I think he is going to revolutionize. <laughs> I, I, I have since, I don't think I've raved about it like that <laughs> since, since that time. And now I'm, I'm not into technology as much as I used to be. Now I'm into more like evolution and neuroscience and okay. psychology stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think I was right about solar panels. What so was going to take a little while. What was the tipping point for you? I know you had previously done a double dating podcast yeah. that was more like lighthearted, comedic, yeah, relationship-based. Yeah. What was the tipping point for you that made you go, I'm actually going to do this science podcast? Yeah, so I had... so. I mean, how I got into it in the first place was kind of a long story, but basically um, I, was, I was trying to develop like a science-based TV show to pitch because my manager at the time was really pushing me to create some sort of TV show, which I never really had an interest in. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, well, if I was going to do something that I'd actually be interested in, it'd definitely be science-based. And so I started doing more research and um, evolutionary psychology and biology in particular like really grabbed me and just changed the whole way that I thought about the world and uh, about how we live our lives. And then I started like reaching out to various authors and being like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm like trying to maybe put together like a live show or something like that sometime or pitch, uh, pitch a thing. And I'm wondering if like you can help me. And then I ended up getting to be friends with a few academics because I had all these questions for them. And, and then I was having like all these just amazing, mind blowing like lunch conversations with these academics as like, I was like, I can't believe I get to do this. And this is like, how come no one knows about this stuff? And eventually I was like, this should be a podcast. Yeah, I'll just do that because I don't really feel like I, I tried like writing treatments and, so, and I hated it. It was always like trying to make things really jokey and right. writing sketches. And I really hated the process. 
And I was like, but these conversations I'm having are, are the, uh, I love, I love doing this. And I was like, this should just be recorded. But at the time I had the Double Date podcast and that was already so time consuming, which we were bitching about booking, um, uh, not bitching, we were talking about. <laughs> the, uh, the, talking the, shop. The, we were talking shop uh, before this podcast about how difficult it can be to book guests and coordinate everything and schedule everything and with comics and finding um, you know, interesting comics that right. haven't been on a billion other podcasts. I'm trying to reach out to academics who I've never met before and, and it's challenging when I had the Double Date podcast. That was trying to get to a, a comic who was in a relationship who both parties were down. <laughs> yeah, Sometimes it was the comic that didn't want to come on, uh, not even the significant other. Right, you yeah. had to get two people to agree to talk two about the relationship. Two people to agree, and then into microphones. April Macy and I, who were a couple at the time, we had to. We are both rogue comics. We had to be in L.A. at the same time. Right. The other couple had to be in L.A. And it was during the day, nine to five, in a studio. And so then, like the person's significant other couldn't have a regular job. <laughs> it was such a nightmare. That and is I was a like, scheduling. There, there was, there was no way I was going to take on another swamp. thing. And then the moment we stopped double date, actually, actually. We, I was, when April and I broke up, we continued mm. to do double date. Okay. We were still friends. We didn't tell anybody we'd broken up, and then uh, we still liked doing the show. We didn't stop until I broke my feet, and it didn't. It just didn't so, work out. So, so if we go back and listen to the later episodes, can we tell? Uh, can we I'm, tell I mean, that you two were broken I up? I mean, the running joke through the whole podcast was that we weren't going to last for very long. Mm -hmm. And it was like sometimes we'd have some real awkward podcast where people would be like, hey, are you guys okay? Or are you joking right now? Or are you legitimately like we fought like crazy all the time? Um, I don't know why we lasted as long as we did. But uh, we both liked each other. But man, we fucking helped. I mean, we were in love, but we fought like crazy all mm -hmm. the time. Comics with comics. Comics with comics. And so so anyhow, I was actually supposed to do my first Here We Are podcast. It was supposed to be recorded two days. It was scheduled to be recorded two days after I broke my feet. So oh. then I had to delay it for a few months, that project, for four months or so. Did the What did you learn about yourself from the time off? Well, Other than living with your parents as a, an adult is tough. Yeah, I mean, and even that wasn't that bad. It was kind of nice to, like, get to know my parents as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, you know, it's socially embarrassing. It's embarrassing to tell people that you're living with your parents, and, and it's depressing to break your feet. So, like, any added depression on top of breaking both of your feet is just, like, too much to handle. And, um, I mean, I learned... I learned about painkillers, um, <laughs> and w which fortunately I never got too out of control with, but I stopped before I thought, I was like, oh, this is, I'm sensing that I could get addicted to these very soon. I'm right there, right. and that's when I stopped. That, then I had to start drinking again because I couldn't handle the pain anymore um, when I was on the cane. Um, and then and st since then, I've, ch I've chilled out. On, on I, I don't really drink anymore again. Okay. But um, just like one once in a while. But, but, the, but the experience of living with your parents, with both your heels yeah. broken, that wasn't a TV show? I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I... Did your, man did your management ever go? I actually tried to, like... 
Yo, there's just using there's my a sitcom premise. I was I was just like I'm just gonna talk into this webcam mm-hmm. and put it out there and talk about various things. And I tied in like a lot of scientific ideas and stuff that I was also interested in the time. Okay. Into like like the psychology of pain or you know uh, how right. painkillers work or you know stuff like that. Okay. And, and how uh, the evolution of depression and <laughs> but but people were getting like. I mean, I was in pajamas and stuff like that and uh, and talking about living with my parents and it was just like bumming people out too much. And, and so was I was like, Was it the kind of pajamas you were wearing? Was it, what kind of pajamas? I think it was the pajamas. Yeah, it was the, people were like, how about some satin pajamas? <laughs> then I'll watch the show. Yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of pajamas. Who's the hoodies? <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot of uh, uh, pajama um, problems, <laughs> uh, mostly, mostly a lot of pajama criticisms. But you, what, uh, it, what it, else it, did I learn? I mean, I learned how to crutch around real mm-hmm. well. I mean, I learned, you know, you know what was nice was it, here. Here's something that I learned that was one. I had a lot more stuff to talk about with scientists when I did start doing the podcast finally, okay. and then also. I grounded it a lot more in like, I want to connect these ideas to uneducated but um, but curious people in like the Midwest that wouldn't ever have access to this information that, I mean, people can listen to NPR or whatever, right. but, but, but might not otherwise hear this this kind of stuff and, and specifically like the kind of stuff that I'm, I'm talking with these people about. And so it did, I think it, I think it made it so that I always had that in the back of my mind then when I made the podcast. So Mm -hmm. I I think rather than like just pandering to um, intellectuals that will already like watch TED Talks or whatever and may not gain as much from it as someone who's just going to have their minds blown by never hearing about, like, like most people, they're like, Oh, evolution! We came from monkeys. What? But they know—they've never had the opportunity to hear like how it actually works and right. how it uh, changes our psychology and and ha- our, how our brains have adapted and all, all this really interesting stuff. That when you hear it, it's like, oh, oh, okay, that's how that works. You know. Were you interested in this stuff as a, as a teenager? Well, no, not because really. Because you didn't want to go to college. Yeah, I mean, I always wanted to be a stand-up. So I had no interest in school, so I never, I didn't see the point in being in school. But I would read, I would read Popular Science magazine because I was interested in like technology and gadgets mm-hmm. and like solar roadways and that sort of thing. But and you didn't talk about that stuff in your early stand-up. No, no. I mean, I was like a party animal, and um, and also I, I had a hard time. I mean, I would talk about religion sometimes, mm-hmm. but I was like more of like a absurdist-ish kind of one-liner-ish shorter joke teller back then, and I feel like, and I'm glad that I was because I feel like I needed to figure out how to tell a joke first before figuring out how to talk about like things that are quote-unquote more meaningful or whatever. And honestly, that's not even why. Like sometimes people are like, "Oh, comics have this." great platform do you think it's like a responsibility for comics to like say important things uh, no not at all i think comics have a responsibility to talk about what they're interested in like i think if you're interested in fixing cars and you never once have 
something about that in your act like i would consider like maybe trying to write about <laughs> it a little you know right, you have you have a passion for what you're doing yeah about. yeah i forget why why did you pick boston had you been doing comedy in no, wisconsin no no i had i just it was so random i was like i i know i didn't know anything about it mm-hmm. i i knew so I had horrible stage fright, which I think is an another reason why I had like shorter, like absurdist. Jo- like Stephen Wright said, he kind of developed his character out of stage fright okay. originally. And I feel like that's kind of where I was sort of coming from originally. You get in, you get out. Uh, yeah, and um, I, I was like, well, I'm gonna go to New York or LA, and I was really aiming for New York more than anything, but knew nothing. And then I had a friend that was moving to Boston. I was like, well, that's close enough, and then I'll be able to, I'll, I'll start comedy in Boston. It will be, the idea of of anyone I knew or my family or anything seeing me was mm-hmm. like the most horrifying idea that I could imagine. And so I wanted to get as far away as possible, and as far as I knew, you had to go to the, like the big city. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend that was moving to Boston. I was like, oh, I'll just tag along with him. That'll be easy. And your and your goal arriving in Boston was stand-up comedy? Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. W- so what did you do? Where, where did you go? What did you I I remember. How did you First f- I had to get a job to yeah. and then I w- and then I was still like I had such horrible stage fright um, that I still like put it off for a few weeks and then I I looked in the yellow pages, Sean. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I w- I'm curious about I like where you go to find pages it. under comedy clubs. Okay. This was this was 2003, okay. fall of 2003. They were still yellow pages then. Yeah. Yes. And then Physical I called up book. all these different comedy clubs. Okay. And um and like some people were like I I think I I think I called the Comedy Connection. I probably talked with Ryan back then and okay. Ryan caught at the Comedy Connection. I don't know that, but I think that's probably who it was. And I was like, "How do you what do I do?" And he's like, "Well, you gotta do like open mics and stuff. I was like, where are those at? And he's like, why don't you call the comedy studio? <laughs> and then I called the comedy studio and Rick Jenkins lived pretty close to me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm gonna drop off a packet full of information. Why don't you read through it and um, come and check out some shows. There's a few free tickets for some shows. Come and check that out. And um, you know, if you check out some shows maybe we can throw you a spot on like an off night or something and then i did a spot on an off night and kind of forgot all my material and got really nervous this is like december 2003 and then um so i don't i say i don't didn't start until april of 2004 and this is why i did i did that set Mm -hmm. um and it actually went fine enough really for like what it was i i like did you get a dvd of it no Okay. Um, I think it was before that. Before he started doing that? Yeah. And I I remember I was really nervous. Mm-hmm. I went up and you know who went on right before me was um was um oh fuck, I'm having a brain fart. Is uh uh fuck Louis C. K. No, <laughs> no, it was um um the show that Hannibal Burris is on all the time. He is in Aspen in two thousand seven. Uh, Hannibal Burris is the sidekick for Eric Andre. Eric Andre, how the fuck did I forget Eric Andre? <laughs> Eric Andre went on before me, and he had just started, 
and he oh, did right, like he went to college the craziest, yeah. most vile stuff. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I guess I don't have to worry about my material. I was worried <laughs> I was going to be like too dirty or whatever. Right. And I was like, oh, great. I don't have to worry about my stuff. I mean, he bombed hor- horrifically. <laughs> but uh, and I w- and I was la- I thought it was funny. I was laughing. Yeah. Um, and, and it eventually uh, turned around for Eric. Yeah, it sure. did. Spoiler alert. It turns out okay for Eric. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and then we were in Aspen the same year in right. 2007. When, um, when did you when did you start to get a sense of what your point of view was and your well and so that you could actually be doing this? I took a comedy class with Rich Gustus then. Okay. Because Rick Jenkins is like, listen, you can't. You got to go to the do open mm-hmm. mics and stuff. There's paying customers here and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. And um, and so I took a comedy class with Rich Gustus who was actually incredibly helpful and got me over a lot of my stage fright. And I just did new material every week at open mic and the Emerald Isle, which later got condemned. Oh, in I didn't Boston. Know that. Uh, yeah. That was in Dorchester. Wasn't yeah. It? Yeah. The most dangerous area in Massachusetts. Mm. Got mugged outside there at gunpoint one time. You did? Yes, I sure did. With t- on Tom Dustin's 30th birthday. Oh, uh, happy birthday, yeah, Tom. We, we both got uh, mugged at gunpoint. Um, wow. It was quite an ordeal. It's not wicked. Uh, it's wicked pissa. <laughs> uh, oh, Tom <laughs> Dustin. Um, and then I and then. So did you think you were going to die when you got mugged at gunpoint? No, I thought it was a joke at first. I didn't know what was going. Like I was so surprised that I thought they were joking. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, "Oh, this is serious." And then it was like Tom was like smarting off to them and stuff. That's why I thought they were joking. I thought like he knew them or right. something like that. And then uh, Tom was maybe just trying to be confident. Yeah, he's a little too confident <laughs> and drunk. It was his thirtieth birthday. Right. Oh, right. Was, I think was he was, I think he was having it a crisis, kind of right. like what's the point of life, kind of drunken crisis. <laughs> and and we'll then someone we'll pulled a gun on him, mm. and then <laughs> he's like, puts well, everything fuck back in perspective. You. Yeah. Um, so so so. So I, I did this, I, I did an open mic, I did, I bombed for two, uh, every Wednesday I went to this open mic and did mm-hmm. a new five minutes each time, and I, uh, you know, no one paid attention, and mm-hmm. I, I, a couple people started paying attention, I bombed, I did, I did, one joke would work, and then at the end of that two months, mm-hmm. I did the graduation show at the comedy studio, and I crushed it. And there was like regular people on too. It wasn't just like the class oh, of okay. people. And I had the best set of the night by a long <laughs> the shot. Best <laughs> ever. The best, the the best, best thing ever. ever. <laughs> oh man! And um, you're making me nostalgic. <laughs> no, that's but that's what I'm. That's and my then, question though. Is and like then I was just like I mean, and then I was crushing it for a while, mm-hmm. like right away. And then I and then like. And then I, I I got too confident, and then I started, uh, you know, and then it was actually I was like on a pretty fast trajectory right away. I mean, but immediately. But we're joking around about your, you have a distinct vocal delivery. Yes, I do. <laughs> Apparently, this is Shane. I, no, I don't no. even know what I sound like. <laughs> why are you trying? Why are you trying to impersonate do, yourself? I know, when other when I hear. Uh, when I hear other people impersonating me, I sound like this. You don't. You, you're already no. doing yourself. <laughs> but when did you? When did you figure out? 
that that kind of delivery that vo- the I don't it seemed like math to me mm-hmm. I was always like I was always really really good at math like uh, I, I never paid attention to any class in school but I always like I could I could teach any math class that I taught I always got I was always the top of the mm-hmm. class never never had to do any homework or anything like that it was like just came so easy to me and to me like their jokes it was like this math equation, and there was just like I don't know. I was like I could see it. I could see this math, and and like are you, are this you a, a beautiful minding it? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> I don't see it anymore like I used to. Okay. But but then I did, and I I, I mean I used to, I used to like look at every word and I'd time out jokes and I'd know oh, I have I a memory of sitting next to you as you were writing out I think your first Conan set, and you had all these timestamps next to everything. Yeah, I knew exactly how long, I knew exactly how many laughs per minute every joke, I, yeah. I knew how many laughs a joke was going to get. I would know, I would know where the, where the, how many big laughs right. it would get and then subtle ones and subtle ones counted as like uh, two, two small laughs would count as a big one or something like that. But and part of that timing is, the timing of the joke is how you pause to, Draw it, out certain phrases. Yeah, that was just like you this ha- weird, natural, mm. like, I just felt, were- and it was like, honestly, like, by myself, mm-hmm. I was, I was better, like, like, doing it, I would, I would practice in front of a mirror, mm-hmm. and I would have the timing down, like, like, if I could, if I could replicate it on stage, mm-hmm. like I did it in front of a mirror, it would right. kill. But I always had stage fright, so if something went wrong or I was throwing off a little, like I got thrown off in the slightest tonight, and it was like eh, that I, right. I, I like bailed on the joke, and everything. like I still, <laughs> like, like I need things get to go like just so for. But me. like your early joke that I would quote that I used to quote back to you yeah. was about being called a pussy. Yeah. And uh, so you would stand in front of a mirror and you go. I don't even remember how it went exactly. I, I thought he was calling me the I, I, best I, I, thing. I, I, I remember, yeah, when when people, um, uh, I I just found out recently that when people when people call you a pussy, they mean that you're weak or cowardly. All of my life, I thought that people were calling me the best thing <laughs> ever. <laughs> I forgot about that <laughs> joke almost. That was a classic. That was a classic <laughs> Shane Moss. That was a real classic. But see, Shane see, even that joke. See, you, you have pauses yeah. and you draw out words. I would stand in front you, of the mirror and would I would do those exact pauses just like that, and like I would see, it, like I would predict the. I mean, it's, I, I can't even like go back. To, uh, to that uh, now, I don't know. Uh, like it's so much different than what my process is mm-hmm. now. Um, it's it's weird. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know how I uh, like it. Really did. It looked like math and numbers to me. Okay. It looked like like when when a synes- uh, person with synesthesia is like, oh, when I when I hear music, I see colors, or I see uh, numbers, I see colors, mm-hmm. or something like. It was like that with like jokes for me. And at what point did you feel comfortable enough to quit any day job you had? Oh, what were you oh my God. This is, it's the craziest story ever, actually. Yeah. It's the craziest <laughs> story ever. No, uh, yeah. I, I can't even <laughs> do an impression of myself. <laughs> I, um, uh, I <laughs> um, uh, so this is, 
and, and I, I hope I'm not gonna go over our time with this with this uh, story, but I'll I'll try to keep it short. Okay. I was I was a temp laborer, so mm -hmm. I was I was going part time. I was working part time. Okay. As a temp laborer, because I was making some money, mm -hmm. and this is before Aspen or anything, and then even after Aspen, I uh, so. I was working on this huge construction site, and um, everyone loved me there. Um, and and so I was like, I was always talking with these security guards, mm -hmm. and they were like, and I was like, hey man, I want to do your job. Like you guys don't look like you. Do, I don't <laughs> think you guys do anything. Can I do that? And they're like, yeah, man, get in on it. And it was like this sham. It was like it was just for liability purposes mm -hmm. that they, if the company had this secure, uh, had employed a security company, they didn't have to pay as much in liability insurance. Okay, because and they had somebody watching over right. the, and the site. But they didn't want any security people monkeying monkeying around with their shit or like fucking anything up or whatever, and they weren't mm -hmm. actually worried about it. So they just paid the cheapest security company to just had. I didn't have a uniform. I sat in my own car, uh, like outside of this gate, and they're mm -hmm. like, just don't talk to anyone. Don't do any, j they're like, just don't get caught sleeping. They, they said, uh, like, they're like, you're gonna sleep. <laughs> but don't get, <laughs> don't get, just don't get like, caught. Like go in the booth for a mm -hmm. while, take a nap, just don't get caught. And, and I did that, and mm -hmm. I'd, I'd like write, I sometimes actually left, it, I'd work the overnight. I'd sometimes just leave, go and do a set, and then go back, <laughs> and I'd still be there in the morning. Oh, like wow. I did not take this job very seriously. So how do you quit a job and like that? <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> so what happened was, mm -hmm. so this is this this really this really big construction site was in I think Malden or something. Oh, like it wasn't that. the big dig. It, no, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was. Um, it was. So there was this old insane asylum that oh, was okay. like historical uh, up on top of this hill. I mm -hmm. guess they made a couple B horror movies about it or whatever. And so all these teenagers used to like go up there and drink before this construction was going on. They used to go up the you know this huge abandoned building, and then this, these big construction uh, uh, companies came in and they started building all these apartment buildings that were like you know, three stories high or so with, with like uh, 30 units in each one and, and they had about nine of these buildings so it's a pretty big project and and anyhow um the night the night uh, you were with me the night i was on conan for the first time oh right um some kids snuck on that prop snuck onto that property and they turned the uh, there's a couple of like really raw pretty unfinished um buildings okay um uh, that were basically like just the plywood and framing at this right, point just the shell and um okay. and they turned on the gas uh, in two of these buildings oh my goodness and they blew up and then <laughs> and then the, the and night that you were here in new york city I, I for conan here for conan mm -hmm. and then um and then the uh, a, a police officer saw it from the road like uh, right. these explosions going on up on yeah. this hill flies up there gets up to the gate mm -hmm. and the security guy is sleeping in his car oh. with like explosions going i mean these two buildings blew up and uh, so much so there's built there's other buildings that mm -hmm. were closer to finished that were like probably 
at least a hundred feet away. Yeah. At least more than that, probably 50 yards away with windows that had blown out with like siding melting. I mean, these were huge explosions. We had fire going on. The guy sleeps through the whole thing. Then they looked into like the, the security company. Turned out they didn't really have their proper licensing and stuff. Oh, wow. And they ended up uh, losing their business. They yeah. ended up no longer if being a business. If you're trying to secure something and it blows up, that's not a good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not good. And, and then I was out of a job. Oh, okay. And I had just done Conan, and I was like, I, I started looking through the classifieds, mm -hmm. and I was like, I, I was just on Conan O'Brien, damn it. <laughs> and now I have to look through the classifieds? And, um, and I was like, fuck it. You know, I'll just go into debt or whatever I have mm -hmm. to do. And I, I mean, I started getting road work at that time. Off of my first Conan, I was able to get because you got representation, right? Yeah, about I then got too. representation from Aspen, mm -hmm. um, and then was on Conan a couple. Uh, that was uh, just like a couple weeks after. Uh, or uh, yeah, or maybe a month or. Uh, it was in March. Um, yeah, it was, all, it, was it was all pretty fast. Just before my third year anniversary of doing stand up, <laughs> I was I was. Almost three years in. Crazy. Never look back. Never look back. Yeah. Just have the buildings exploding behind you. Never look back. <laughs> <laughs> Just like an action movie. <laughs> Except you were here. I mean, it's. I mean, the movie. You know, we can. No, uh, yeah, we, can yeah. we can exaggerate the story for the movie. In real life, he was here. He yeah. has an alibi. Uh. So. Okay. So. That's when I went full time <laughs> as a comedian. And you've been full time ever since. Yeah. And you're on the road a lot. Yeah. Uh, what's the... I usually end by asking everybody this. What's the last great advice you've received that you've been able to incorporate into your life? Oh, man. I mean, you're talking to all sorts of people who probably... Oh, oh, just like incorporating yeah. it into my life yeah, at just all, yeah. not, not not comedy or related or anything? No, it doesn't have to be comedy related. Um. Well, so... I would say probably um, just learning about cognitive biases have changed my life. This idea that um, evolution has, that it came from this error management theory where a mechanism like a smoke alarm can mm -hmm. error in two different ways. It can either, it can either go off too often and, and the cost is that it annoys you um, or, or it cannot go off when it's supposed to, mm -hmm. and people burn in the fire. There's a, hor a bigger cost involved. So, assuming that no smoke alarm is perfect, engineers bias that smoke alarm to um, to uh, to be a little overly sensitive. Right. So then you burn the toast, and it annoys you once in a while. It airs to the side of caution. So our brains have evolved using that same sort of engineering which is like this negativity bias mm -hmm. that I talked about on stage tonight where we tend to focus a lot more on these dangerous things to keep us out of trouble. And then also there, there's a million of them. Like, for example... It's all, it's all based on survival, though. And, and reproduction. Like, for okay, example, right. um, men tend to overestimate females' interests um, <laughs> in, in them. I don't know what you're talking so, about. So they'll have, have like... no identification with that. They'll have two people on a speed date. Yeah. A male oh, and female on a yeah. speed date. And then, and then they'll have another random male and female mm -hmm. observing them. Oh. And, and they'll have... Yeah. Uh, and, 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 they'll, uh, and, and then they'll ask all parties mm -hmm. afterwards 
they'll be like, was the female interested? And the female that was there will be like, oh, no, I was just being nice. The female watching will be like, ah, she's just being nice. And both dudes will be like, she wanted it. She was totally into me. Our brain biases us that way so that we'll be more proactive so that we'll spread our seed more because we have a a lower cost of reproduction than females do. Females bias their brain toward being more um, skeptical of commitment and Mm -hmm. tend to, like, not believe guys as much when they tell them they're in love or whatever and and so there's a million of these biases yeah and and thinking about the world in that and and uh one's behavior in that way has really changed my life quite a bit um you know sometimes that negativity bias comes in handy still Mm -hmm. and and then you go oh well maybe this is just that negativity bias kicking in and the cliff's not really as Mm -hmm. high as my bias is saying my my <laughs> instincts are telling me not to jump, but maybe that's just my <laughs> dumb instincts that are. So, so it's it's not always for the better. Yeah, yeah, it's a you know a case by case kind of basis, but right. but definitely that that line of thinking and uh-huh. reasoning has changed the way that I look at the world and the way that people behave and act with one another. And uh, this is comedy related. When a new person new to comedy asks you for advice what's what's the first what's the first thing you tell them um i always say i i mean you know i skip right past the like yellow pages uh, g- g- you skip past <laughs> the yellow pages <laughs> i skip right past the uh <laughs> the, the the like y- you know get as much stage time right as much right. as possible you know i say that stuff quick and passing uh, you should have already heard that right. i imagine i'm not the first person you asked and I usually like to tell people to stay out of your comfort zone, to keep on trying to challenge yourself mm-hmm. and challenge your audiences here and there. And like tonight, I didn't really challenge myself at all. Like I, I was like, I'm not here very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to knock it out of the park. I do. I, I, I mean, I did some like stuff about psychedelics at the end, which was like a little bit of taking a risk, but not right. really. Um, but typically, I always say like. You know, just get out of your comfort zone if you're, uh, I mean, and I've lived by it. I got comfortable telling one-liners, so I started trying to tell stories. And now I'm comfortable, like, now I'm like a storyteller. And now, so now I'm going back and doing, like, one-liner things. Sometimes I do, like, science-based stuff was really uncomfortable for me to talk about at first. So I really pushed it, and I did it more and uh, more. And, more and, and um, I try to commit to doing um, at least one new joke in pretty much every set that I'll ever do. I, I, I've done, I've made some sort of change. I try to do something that's, uh, that's like, you know, just pushing a mm-hmm. little bit just to see, just to see if I can still be comfortable. Well, Shane Moss, thank you for, for pushing yourself a, l- a half hour extra to uh, hang out with me. Oh, no problem. I'm quite comfortable talking <laughs> with you. Sean. Oh, well, I then next time it. I'll have to push you out of your comfort zone. Yeah, you will. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, bud. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening.
last things first. 